you. It's kind of towards, towards the end of your Bible. Uh, we're continuing a series today called uh, Essential Jesus, and in this series, we're really looking at these paradoxes or these tensions that we find in the person of Jesus. And the reason that we're looking at these tensions is because I think it can be a little bit counterintuitive sometimes. Sometimes we want to resolve tensions or paradoxes or seeming contradictions that God doesn't really want resolved. And in looking at these contradictions, looking at this tension, we see how in the person of Jesus there are many of these uh, sort of tensions or paradoxes or seemingly uh, contrary truths that are yet both still true. And so like last week we looked at how Jesus is both powerful and nonviolent, that he is forceful, he's powerful, he contains all of the creative force of the universe and all the destructive force of the universe is residing in his person, but he is not violent. He invites us to walk the way of the cross, uh, and that is essential to who Jesus is and his mission. Today we're really just kind of looking at maybe what might be a less controversial idea. It's a little more central maybe to what most Christians throughout the ages would have considered Uh, you know, just like really basic doctrine about Jesus, that he's both God and man. And at different times in history, uh, theologians have emphasized one over the other, tried to resolve that tension, but I believe that it's true that Jesus is actually both of these things. If you look at the historic creeds of the church, if you look at the earliest writings about Jesus, if you just look at his story, you see that Jesus is both God Almighty and frail human being. That Jesus is both the king of the universe and uh, a humble man uh, who, who had to learn things and who uh, struggled with many things. And so we're just going to kind of meditate on that idea, especially today as we are really focused on how do we love the children who are in our midst. We're going to think about this incarnation idea of who Jesus really is. And so I wanted to just start with... Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. Let me read that and then we'll just pray so that God will open our minds. It says this in Hebrews 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us uh, finally and authoritatively in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we read these inspired words of scripture today that you would be the voice that speaks to us. We know that sometimes uh, scripture can get twisted, and I know that I'm not a perfect person, and I miss it sometimes. And so, God, we just recognize that we need your help to hear your voice and for you to speak to us through your word. And, God, I do ask that we would hear you, that we would see you, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have ears to hear, and that we would be open and willing to follow you into whatever you are inviting us to this morning. And I ask for these things in Jesus' name. Well, I think one of the first points that is very evident that kind of is 
sort of the meaning of what the author of Hebrews is talking about here is it just is saying that Jesus struggled, right? Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. He was actually fully human. Jesus wanted things that he shouldn't have and desired to do things that he should not do. Unlike you and me, though, Jesus actually resisted those temptations, and he was successful, and he won that battle. He won in that struggle. He overcame in that struggle that he was going through. And so I think the gospel to us, the good news to us is this, is that Jesus has struggled with something like whatever you're struggling with. That Jesus has been through Maybe not exactly the same thing that you're going through. You're a unique person and your life is unique. We're separated by, you know, roughly 2,000 years of, of history. You know, a lot of things in my life are pretty different than the time that Jesus lived, but we're both human beings, right? We're both men in, this, in, in my case. Uh, we, we both, uh, you know, struggle with anger and, and, uh, and, and greed and and all kinds of things. We have all kinds of temptation. We have all kinds of things going on in our lives. And Jesus, the gospel is that Jesus has been through something like what you're going through. Maybe not exactly what you specifically are going through, but something close, something relatable. He can understand the temptation that you're experiencing. Jesus understands that the world is not as it should be. That there are many things in our world that are just broken, that just aren't working. He understands that people can be terrible and people can be silly and people can be so full of pride uh, and so rebellious that they would rather die than admit that they were wrong. That Jesus has seen what it's like to live in an unjust and broken world. He's been through something like the injustice or the brokenness that you experience in your own life, if not exactly what you've been through. You know, Jesus... Uh, Jesus experienced sickness and death, especially sickness and death of the people around him. You know, we read in the, in the New Testament Gospels, we read that, you know, Joseph was a big part of Jesus coming into the world, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the incarnation in just a minute, but, you know, Jesus had, a, had an earthly father figure, an adopted father. Uh, Jesus was in a blended family. Uh, that might blow your mind, but yeah, like Jesus, Jesus was in a blended family. You, you might... You, you might just think about that for a minute. And maybe just some of the pain that kind of, or confusion that can come from that. Uh, Jesus was born into that situation. But that father figure that he had, Joseph, you know, he's mentioned in Jesus' birth story and at the beginning of the story, but we don't hear about him later on in life. What happened to him? Where did he go? Uh, and so, you know, Jesus probably lost that father figure. He probably lost Joseph. Joseph probably died within Jesus' lifetime. We know for certain that John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, he was unjustly executed by the state. He was unjustly executed by a king who claimed to be uh, orthodox, who claimed to be the king of Israel. The irony there, right? That Jesus is like put to death by someone. It's like a false king. You, just the layers of injustice in losing someone close to him, Jesus' cousin. It says that, you know, when, when John the Baptist was uh, beheaded unjustly by King Herod, that, that Jesus withdrew by a lonely place to pray. He needed to process his grief. He needed to process that loss. And so if you're going through something like that, Jesus 
has been through that. Jesus has been through something like what you're going through. You know, I do believe that just, uh, that we can see that Jesus experienced exhaustion. He experienced fatigue. I think maybe even at times we can see that maybe Jesus was a little bit irritable, right? We can read stories in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it really seems like Jesus is a little bit peeved, like he's just upset at the, at the state of the world. And if you're experiencing any of those things, Jesus has experienced those things too. Loneliness. I don't know if there's anybody who's experienced loneliness quite the way that Jesus must have experienced it. Not feeling understood. Not truly being known. Not truly being seen or loved or cared for the way that he needed to be in so many ways. Jesus had to deal with loneliness. And though I believe his life was full of meaning and full of purpose and full of joy, full of connection, full of, I mean, impact, let's talk about what is the most impactful life that's ever lived. It was Jesus' life. He is to us the example of what a human being should be. Uh, You know, he was unmarried. He didn't have any kids. He lived alone. He lived alone in community, but I just, I think we should wrestle with the fact that Jesus was probably very lonely for much of his life and much of his experience. The things that plague all of us, the things that are difficult for all of us, Jesus experienced those things. And so Hebrews tells us, if we can back up just one slide, it says, therefore, in verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It says later on in Hebrews in chapter 5 in verses 7 through 9, it says this. It says that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And if you keep reading, it talks about being in the priesthood of Melchizedek and all that stuff. That stuff's really interesting and really great. And go watch the Bible Project video on that. That's fantastic. But what I feel like the Lord really wants to highlight to us here is just this mystery of the incarnation, especially as we today recognize these new lives coming into our community, uh, just that, you know, Jesus was a baby, right? Do you ever think about that? I mean, we usually kind of just keep that in the Christmas story, but you think about that. Jesus was a baby. Like, he couldn't hold his head up. He was crying, and he needed help. He needed to be fed. He needed his diapers changed. I'm not trying to blaspheme here. I'm just saying, like, this is, this is the God that we serve, that God would become so weak and so needy. I mean, think about it. Jesus had to learn how to walk. He had to cry when he was hungry. And he had to learn how to speak. Jesus had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. If we're struggling, if we're confused, if we're hungry, if we're tired, man, we have 
a great high priest who's been through something like that. We have a priest who's, who's gone through that. We have a representative before God. We have a mediator. We have a, we have a person who goes between us and the Father in Jesus the Christ, in Jesus the Messiah, uh, who has been through something like what we've been through. I think maybe one of the reasons that Jesus was such a kid person, I think maybe one of the reasons that Jesus was so good at saying, hey, don't get in the way of kids coming to me. Welcome them. Let the children come to me. You know, don't, don't you get in their way. Don't you put a stumbling block before those kids. Let those children come to me. Let them come to me as kids. Let them come to me as needy, uh, you know, selfish like little kids that, <laughs> that are just childish in, their, in the very essence of their being. And unless you're willing to get so vulnerable, unless you're willing to be so needy before God, unless you're willing to emulate the way that these kids relate to their parents and the way they relate to me, unless you're willing to become like that, you don't have any part of me. These kids know what's going on. They understand what it is to need to need God. I do wonder if Jesus wasn't better than the average person at remembering his neediness, at remembering who he was as a child. I think often, maybe, we as adults start to think we've outgrown all of that, that we start to think, oh, I was never a child. I was never, I was never needy. I never whined. I never needed to be corrected. I never, you know, I was just, I came out of the womb strong and perfect. I, maybe this is just something the dudes struggle with. But I came out of the womb, ready. I came out guns blazing, man. I was awesome from the day I was born. And maybe, maybe my mom told me I was special, right? Yeah, and that's good, right? That's not bad. I hope your mom told you you were special. You are special. But I think that sometimes we can, we can believe our own hype a little too much, right? We can forget that we want... We're whiny and weak and very frail little people. And if we're really honest, we can see the ways, especially when we spend time with kids, we can see the ways that we're still that way. We can see all the ways that we just don't want to be responsible. We just don't want to be honest. We just don't want to grow up. But Jesus invites us to come alongside him and to meet him and trust him as he needed uh, that, that we can go to God and we can find our needs met because that is how Jesus operated. Jesus operated in a way of being in such close union with God that he knew how to get his needs met. And from that place, he was able to minister. I think it's a good question to consider. Does God minister to us uh, or really, not does God minister to us? Of course, God ministers to us. Does Jesus minister to us out of his divinity or out of his humanity? I do think there's a question there. I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. I think maybe sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other. Uh, I'm not entirely sure exactly how that whole mystery of God becoming a human being works. I think that's something for us to ponder, maybe spend eternity studying. I don't know. But I think it's interesting to think about, when we think about the things that Jesus did, 
do we believe that those are things a human being can do? Because Jesus sure seemed to teach that many of the things that he was doing are things that human beings can do, that regular people can do. He sent out 72 average Joes, and they healed the sick, and they cast demons out of people because Jesus had given them authority to do that. And that has been an element that has been present in all of church history. And as we study the waves of God just pouring out his grace throughout human history, we see it happen over and over and over again, that as people experience God, as they welcome the leadership of Jesus into their hearts, they do things that seem more than human, that seem powerful, that are a sign and a wonder and point to that coming kingdom of God that is breaking into our present existence. And even though Jesus needed, had needs and needed to learn, uh, we, have, we have a good blueprint in that of how to follow God and how to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. You know, I think another thing that, uh, that is so amazing and impressive about Jesus in assuming this need as a human being is that uh, he says that the needy are his brothers and sisters. He says that when you are with children, when you are with the sick, when you are with the dying, when you are with prisoners, when you are with people who are poor, who are demonized, who are disturbed, who are hurting, that those are Jesus' brothers and sisters. And even, he goes as much as far as to say, whatever you did to those people, you did to me. In Matthew 25, he says this. This is what it says in the Bible. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. James says this in uh, his letter too. He says this, that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The world is a place of dog-eat-dog. The world is a place of violence. The world is a place that is constantly one-upping every other person. The world is a place in which the needy are shunned, pushed aside, and hidden. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, that we look after orphans and widows, that we adopt those people without a family into a family, that we care for those who need to be taken care of, who can't offer us anything in return, who aren't cool, who aren't, uh, who aren't the friendliest, who don't Uh, have amazing gifts to offer our community in service to our goals and our purposes and our vision and our dreams, 
that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by that worldly impulse to push those people away and hide them so that we can look better. Jesus is in many ways the image of God as humanity was intended to be, and he invites us in serving others to recognize the dignity of every human being and to serve that image of God in other people and to worship God in that way. In John 1, it says this. It says that in the beginning was the Word. And I think it should be noted here that the Word is Jesus, right? It was with God with the beginning. Before the Bible was penned, Jesus is the Word of God. Now, I believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures. I believe in the authority of the Scriptures. But as John Wimber used to say, the Bible is the menu, not the meal. Whenever we come to the Scriptures, we need God to speak to us through it. And so I think it's always important that we pray and we ask God to help us understand what he is saying through these words that have been inspired and written to us. In the same way that Jesus was tempted by a devil who quoted scripture, uh, we need God to straighten that out for us so that we don't get confused. Right? And so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was the light, life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And John goes on to say that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another translation of that word overcome could also be understood to say that the darkness has not understood it. That Jesus is this light of the world. He reveals who God is to all of humanity, and he also reveals what humanity was designed to be. He is the ultimate representation of who God is, and he is ult also the ultimate representation of humanity to God. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice. That's what makes him who he is. If you will, Jesus is the image bearer of God. He is the one that reveals to us perfectly who God is. And he is also the perfect image of God. He's also the perfect human being made in God's image. And so the invitation for us today is to hold these ideas in tension, to really understand this mystery of Jesus as both human and divine, as both the God of the universe who created everything and the frail baby who had to flee as a refugee to Egypt and who suffered the injustice of people claiming to do the will of God. Who, who, he was a person who suffered uh, under the, the nations and the powers of this present evil age. And he was a person who navigated all of that perfectly and did it all without sin and then gave himself in obedience to his Father so that we could have life eternally and so that we could have salvation. That's who Jesus is. And so I just kind of want to read what is probably the earliest Christian creed, along with this admonition that Paul gives to the church in Philippi. In chapter 2, in verse 5 of Philippians, Paul says this, and I'm doing this in the New International Reader's Version because I couldn't find a digital version easily of the 1985, which is 
the NIV that I have in my heart, but whatever, it's fine. The Bible, it's all a translation. None of this is Greek. All right, so New International Reader's Version, they just, all they do is they just break some of the run-on sentences into smaller sentences so that little kids can read it. That's the beauty of the New International Reader's Version. All right, it says this. It says, you should think the same way Jesus Christ does, that Christ Jesus does. In his very nature, he was God. But he did not think that being equal with God was something that he should hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human form. He appeared as a man. He came down to the lowest level. And he obeyed God completely, even though it led to his death. In fact, he died on a cross. So God lifted him up to the highest place. He gave him that is the, na- the name that is above every name. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone's knee will bow to worship him. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to worship him. And everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, the God, and God the Father will receive the glory. And so I just want to think about that as we... As we kind of wrap up here, a couple things I want to just mention. One, I want to mention that our kids today, uh, in you know, bringing up our kids in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, our kids today are being invited to pray a prayer upstairs. And yeah, I know that that could be a trigger, pray the prayer, right? Like, uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it is that a little bit, right? It's, it's when we come to Jesus, we're praying prayers. Our kids are being invited to Uh, pray these words today. And so I want to pray for them. But I also feel like this is something that God invites all of us to keep praying. And so the prayer that uh, we're inviting kids to pray up, up today as they learn about the death and the resurrection of Jesus is this. It says, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know I need you to save me from sin and death. I want you to be the leader of my life. Please come live in my heart. Show me how to forgive and love like you. Forgive me when I do the wrong thing and help me get closer to you every day. Amen. Now maybe you've prayed a prayer like that before and maybe you understood some of its meaning, right? Maybe you understood a little bit of what that meant. But maybe as you've continued to walk, you've You've understood that you need to uh, you need to pray like prayers like that again and again, right? We it's a constant choice, it's a constant walk as we move on with Christ. Like, and here in, in towards the end of August, we're going to celebrate some baptisms. I hope I think we're, I hope we're going to celebrate to say, hey, look, these people are making the choice to start their life with God. It's sort of like a wedding, starting the marriage, right? Like, we're gonna we're gonna have a big party. We're gonna celebrate this moment of decision, this moment of coming to Christ and saying, yes, I want to give you my life. And we want to give our kids lots of invitations to do that, lots of ways that they can learn to say yes to Jesus. And so I hope that we as parents will, will have a conversation about our kids who are, who are reading and who are able to understand what that kind of a prayer means and what that is. Uh, and that we'll continue to have conversations about that. And maybe we'll start practicing praying this prayer with some of our kids. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I found myself as, I felt like God was inspiring me to write this, uh, just needing to pray it like over and over again. Of just saying like, Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
you know, and, and just recognizing my need before God and just saying, I need you to be the leader of my life. You know, I know I'm saved. I know I've come to Jesus, whatever. I'm not insecure about my salvation, but I just, God, I need you. And I need you to take the reins. I need you to be in charge. I need you to save me, and I need you to forgive me for all the mistakes, and I need you to help me get closer to you every day. And so just as marriage uh, is not the same thing as a wedding, the wedding isn't the whole marriage, right? There's all this stuff that comes after. We as believers, we want to give people those invitations, and we want to make those commitments to follow Jesus with our whole life. And we want to follow him in the way of the cross. And so I would like to just kind of go back and read this scripture from Philippians one more time. And I want to invite us to just ask God to speak to us. So like even now, before we start prayer ministry, I just want to welcome the Holy Spirit. Just recognize God is in this room. For many of us, God is living in our hearts. And his voice is a voice that we can hear and that can speak to us. He said, my sheep know my voice. I think that's true about every believer. And so God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us through the scriptures now. And we just want to ask God, like, how do we think like you? What are the ways that, in, in accepting this, if we say we should think the same way Jesus Christ does or the same way Christ Jesus does, what are the ways that we are thinking like that? Like, just ask God to show you Jesus, what are the ways that I think like you? And then what are the ways that you're asking me to think like you more? What are the ways that I'm still holding on to my best idea and my will that I can surrender to you and take your plan, which is better for me? And then the scripture says this. It says that in his very nature, he was God, but he did not think that being equal with God was something that he should hold on to. And so maybe the question for us here to ask is, God, how am I holding on to power? How am I grasping to control? And how do you want me to let it go? (laughs) How can I surrender the power that you've given me to you How can I be a person who's obedient, willing to follow you? Instead, Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human form, and he appeared as a man. He came down to the lowest level. He obeyed God completely, even though it led to his death, and in fact, he died on a cross. God, how can I rely on you? How can I follow you wherever you would lead me? God, how can I follow you to the places I'm scared to follow you? How can I trust you beyond my death? So God lifted him up to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
or when the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone's knee will bow to worship him. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to worship him. Everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God the Father will receive the glory. Lord, how can I rely on you to be my Savior and help me in the ways that I need your help and your salvation? Lord, would you just speak to us now? And we're just going to welcome the Holy Spirit now. Father, we just... We thank you for your word. God, speak to us. God, show us what you want to do in our hearts and our minds. And we just come to you like needy little kids. And we ask you to tell us what to do. We need your leadership in our life, God. More of your spirit, God. More of your leadership. We're going to sing a song of worship here in just a moment. And I would like to invite everyone to go ahead and stand if you're not, if that's not too distracting for you. 